Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Niger again. Our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Another fun week of talking with you guys. Uh, a lot of you have flown in this past week or driven in from different parts of the country for me to do neuropsych evals. It's been really fun uh, being able to meet you guys, and a lot of you guys had a chance to meet Julie as well. Uh, so uh, much appreciation for all of the comments and um, feedback. Uh, this is really the... The highlight of my week, because it's so different from what I do on a day-to-day basis, uh, doing neuropsych evals, um, and we just try to do our best to, again, destigmatize, legitimize, legitimize, and instill a sense of hope when it comes to mental health and mental illness. Um, for those of you guys who follow the program, you know I do this organically, um, and I, something pops in my head, and one, it just, I just kind of go with it. So, over the recent days uh, in the United States, we've had an unfortunate, uh, another school shooting in Texas, and the United States uh, seems to be the epicenter of school shootings. You don't seem to see this uh, in other parts of the world, and it got me thinking. Um, you know, this is not an episode on, on, on politics, but I will comment that I don't understand any legitimate reason why an individual needs an assault rifle of any type. And as our country typically does, as with Columbine and Sandy Hook and Parkland, people get forgotten, movements, they start up protests, and then it just dissipates into the black hole of politics and and negligence, I think, on the part of um, people who are supposed to be running our country. Um, so it's quite unfortunate, and I know we have a huge uh, following in Texas, so my heart, Julie's heart, goes out to all the families in Texas uh, and anybody who's been affected by this horrific uh, event. And, um, <clears throat> and it got me thinking... Uh, yeah, I've mentioned this before that, you know, I, I, I really don't think that in all these different school shootings, people just woke up one day and said, hey, I'm going to go and kill as many people as I can. I think that in, the, in these individuals, there has been a long, probably unnoticed, uh, undealt with, a host of psychiatric conditions and 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 mental health issues, and I really think that the academic system, at least here in the United States, needs to really do a much better job of of getting more mental health professionals on board, because um, screening tools are available. Um, there's there's, just, there's not enough mental health providers right now, ever since the pandemic. But I think the academic system needs to do a much better job of being able to identify these individuals. So there's so really I want to kind of talk about uh, today is the, the whole concept of of, of bullying. And I think Julie's going to talk a little bit, because uh, she's here with me today, uh, about anxiety and trauma. And I, I, obviously one of, the, one of the questions I ask when I'm going through my structured diagnostic clinical interview is any issue of you being bullied or you bullying other people. And I want to focus on the individuals who have reported history of being bullied. And the it's amazing the the deleterious impact that bullying has had on the the psyche, uh, the sense of self, uh, the ego of individuals, and it's it's incredibly prevalent in in the adolescent young adult population, and obviously with the advent of social media and so many different applications and platforms, um, you could pretty much say anything to anybody, most of which you would never say to them face to face. You know, when I was in grammar school, Catholic grammar school, you know, I I stood up for the kids who got picked on, but there wasn't really a lot of bullying. And if there was there was an argument or fighting, you were best friends the next day or by by, by the next class. But now it gets like it gets to be almost like the telephone game where everybody's got their cell phones, everybody's got their iPhones or their Androids, and they're videotaping everything, and it gets posted on TikTok, it's posted on all diff- different you know chat rooms and Facebook and, and and all this stuff. And 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 these these kids they they 
they suffer in silence. And, um, and sometimes when you're dealing, trying to get this history from adults, there's a lot of shame with it. There's a lot of shame to say, yeah, I was bullied. And, and I think you people could kind of take two trajectories of one of really allowing those messages to adversely impact uh, the sense of self. And other people sometimes take the other route of what Adler termed is, is, is overcompensating. You know, if you're constantly picked on as for being ugly, uh, you know, you're not just going to get a college degree. You're going to become maybe a doctor or a lawyer. You know, that's overcompensation is making up your compensation of compensation is making up for whatever perceived deficits to get to a level of equilibrium. Overcompensation is going above and beyond to, in not out of a sense of spite, but out of a sense of I need to get to this level. Uh, so I feel a sense of self-worth. Um why schools allow in the United States um, kids to bring phones in, I don't understand that. Um, I think I did pretty well without having cell phones, and Julie did as well um, academically. Again, we're both not that old, but you know, a lot of this stuff goes on, and it's very hidden. And, and really, the cyberbullying is a huge component Um you know, with, with adolescents and, and young adults because it's, it's very covert. Um, even when you get into, like, like stuff like sexting, um, people's pictures get posted around and, you know, you're labeled as, uh, you know, neg- negative terminology, whether, whether you're male or female. And, you know, a lot of individuals um, and kids who struggle, struggle with, like, gender identity issues or... Uh, pansexual, transgendered, uh, invariably all of them have reported a history of being bullied for a, a variety of reasons, whether whether that's how they look, whether that's how they talk, whether that's how they dress, whether it's what town they, they came from. Fortunately, uh, Massachusetts is a pretty progressive state where, where, where the gender dis, uh, identity issues are really not Knows that we looking at the corner of your eye. Um, you know, I'm from Chicago, still pretty progressive. New York, but you know, a lot of other places uh, in the United States, and I'm sure different parts of the world uh, struggle with this. And I think you know, you're talking about Julie, what, what are you opening the door for? Um, Julie's feeding the birds. So uh, I think gender dysphoria and the gender identity issues is is a topic into uh, in and of itself for a different time. But, you know, if you are someone who is subject to being bullied, keep this in mind. Uh, it's the quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. I've, I've mentioned in the podcast several months ago. No one can make you unhappy without your permission. That, that, you know, and I've worked with enough people who have been uh, subjects of domestic violence. And invariably, and again, I'm, I'm um, sorry we got the window open so the motorcycle's going down the street because it's a gorgeous day here in Massachusetts. It's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but, but back to the individuals who have been in relationships where they have uh, been abused, I would say, and I'm generalizing, but I invariably they would say, I'd rather he or she just hit me because I can make an excuse as to why I could say I fell down the stairs. I could say that I slipped on the ice. I could I could say that I have a bad cold. That's why I'm wearing a turtleneck in the in in the middle of summer when it's 90 degrees out. But I can't unhear the things. I can't have those those acoustic bells unrung. And words have a tremendous amount of power. They have a tremendous amount of, of, um, of meaning. And, you know, I think we all have this regression to look at the negative aspects of ourselves. I can get 50 compliments in a day and some, one person says something negative. I'm going to forget the 50 and remember the, the negative. And I, I don't think there's a clinical term for it. I don't know of one that exists. But I think there is this fundamental uh, tendency and phenomenon that we almost seem to uh, really gravitate to the things and the, and the environmental or social responses to our sense of self that, that confirm the negative aspects that we already attribute to ourselves. We are very hard on ourselves as individuals. Uh, and I'm not talking about narcissists, but, you know, narcissists, they, they're, they're, they're bullies as well. 
you know, they, 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 they bully in a very different way. And, you know, if you bully a narcissist, the narcissistic injury is revenge. And bullying often leads to, it's not going to lead necessarily to schizophrenia. It's not necessarily going to lead to, um, you know, Alzheimer's. But it certainly is going to lead to uh, things like depression, anxiety, social anxiety, or social phobia, agoraphobia, obsessive compulsive disorder. Could even lead, depending on the degree of stress, if you talk about the diathesis stress model, there's a genetic predisposition for um, bipolarity or, or schizophrenia. I mean, if the, if the stress levels of, of get, get too high, genes can get mutated, and disorders that may never have otherwise manifested could manifest. But depression, anxiety, PTSD are very common residual things that we see as a function of somebody being, oh, no, take those shoes off, please. We don't, we don't live in Vermont. Um, so I know Julie wanted to talk and jump on a little bit about trauma because a lot of individuals who have been subject to being bullied uh, do develop a traumatic response, uh, do develop anxiety. It's something that she treats, you know, from a medication standpoint. And also, also a lot of people, what I find interesting when I, when I say, do you, do you talk about this with, with your therapist? They say, no, it's like, I think maybe, maybe you need to, um, because X causes Y and, you know, can, can you undo the bullying that has been done? But, it, but it, it, it has obviously left an imprint on an individual that is probably, it, it, I don't think, it was, I wouldn't say it's the totality of the etiology, but I think it's certainly a contributory factor in possibly setting somebody off on a psychiatric trajectory to develop, um, a psychiatric disorder. So, you know, again, this covert bullying uh, through through texting and through the internet and, and, and all the different various social media platforms. Uh, you know, you can go back to look at look at you know the movie Back to the Future. Look at Biff. He was he was a, he was a bully. He was a bully in I think he was a bully in both movies, the Back to the Future One and Back to the Future Two. Um, but you know, I'm not really speaking to the bullies. I'm, I'm really speaking to the people who have been subject to being bullied. And, you know, important thing to remember is just because someone says something, it doesn't mean it's true. In words, they do hurt. And, you know, kind of the law of proximity, the closer somebody is in relationship to us, the more their words are going to resonate and the more their words are going to have an impact on us. But you have to remember, you are the gatekeeper and you are the guardian of your own psyche. You can just you can decide how much you want to let that impact you, how much control and power you want to give those negative messages, how much energy you want to devote into... Uh, allowing them to to permeate your, your your sense of self and you know i don't know much about the kid with the texas shooting but i would venture to guess and hypothesize that he probably had a history of being bullied um you know because to get to that that degree uh, i mean there could be could have been psychosis i i don't know but but i i think in a lot of these disturbed cases the you know people can only take so much and and, and again the ends do not justify the means at all there's no justification for mass shootings or or for or for killing people for for no good reason whatsoever um but it is something that we confront in mental health on a, on a regular basis. I mean, there's no there's no diagnosis for of bullying. Uh, it's really the residual impact that puts somebody into a diagnostic category, like I said, of major depressive disorder, of generalized anxiety disorder, social phobia, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, maybe even even agoraphobia. It's like I just I, I don't want to leave my house. You know, I don't want to leave my house because the world is cruel, and that, that that's a that's a very debilitating. Uh, disorder and even even ptsd if you hear these negative messages long enough it's like it becomes like the self-fulfilling prophecy if you hear the the negative things enough times it's going to permeate the system but again as the gatekeeper and guardian you can determine and you can it, it takes work easier said than done but you can dictate how much you want to allow these negative messages that people have said how much weight you want to give them how much you want to allow them to continue to impact you julie you want to focus on anxiety and trauma i can be. all right here she is you've been out in a while hi guys <clears throat> happy memorial day weekend in the united states 
in the United States. And uh, it's always uh, important to be mindful of what Memorial Day stands for, too. Um, I guess I, I have no words for what happened in Texas. I think we are in a time right now where um, I think people are extremely divided. Um, I think that what happened in Texas is there, like there, I said, there are no words for, for that absolute tragedy. Um, the thing that I want to focus on, I know course spoke a lot about bullying and I think that bullying is something that doesn't just happen on a playground and it doesn't just happen in schools. It doesn't just happen, you know, with a peer, uh, bullying can start at home. Um, bullying can be experienced by a parental figure or an older sibling or a family member. It can be absolutely a teacher. It can be a babysitter. It can be a coach. Um, you know, it can be someone, anybody who is influential over a person's life. I personally uh, want to share something that I've been exploring in the past, I guess I would say almost a month. Um, I want to bring to light a person that I've mentioned a couple of times before, only because I like how she explains trauma and the physical effects of trauma and how we, a lot of us grow up with trauma. Um, it can be, you know, capital T's, it can be lowercase t's trauma. You know, trauma is very unique to the person. Or complex trauma. And it's very unique to a person's experience. So like I'm sure Corey said before, someone could experience a similar negative experience. One person winds up with PTSD and the other one doesn't. It's, you know, that's kind of baffling, but it, it is the case. Um, but what I wanted to talk a little bit about was first, I want to talk about, um, <clears throat> you know, just really being mindful of how trauma and negative experiences play out in the human body. And I think that this is something that most of us can relate to. I think as humans, even by now, depending on how old you are, we've all suffered some sort of trauma, whether we have developed PTSD from it or a generalized anxiety or some sort of phobia out of it. Um, it, it depends on the individual and some people, you know, experience trauma and they're, they're okay. So, uh, anyway, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, she's on Instagram, her name, she's called the holistic psychologist. Um, I've mentioned her before. The reason why I want to mention her today, and I probably will kind of weave this work into this program, um, maybe one day we could be more collaborative about it, Um, but I really have been very intrigued by this person's work. Um, I like the platform she has in social media, which I can't say that I like everybody's platform and social media. Um, I think it's a very safe community. I think it's a safe space to explore if you've had trauma in your history, whether regardless of where it came from or how old you were when you experienced it. Um, She wrote a book. I have not read the book. Um, It's called How to Do the Work. Um, Her name is Dr. Uh, Nicole LaPera. Um, She is called the holistic psychologist. I think I've I forgot the wo in there because uh, it's holistic with a W instead of just an H. But you can find her on Instagram. She has a, a over 5 million followers. And um, she really is uh, the, she's kind of the real deal because she's a psych- clinical psychologist. I mean, she's definitely, you know, has the degree. Um, she went to, a, a, I think, a very reputable school. Um, but I think what she found in her travels, and I can't speak for her, I'm giving her full credit for all of this, of course. 
Um, but <clears throat> I think what she's learned is that she herself is a trauma survivor. And I really like how she is in a constant healing mode. She really has used herself as an instrument for other human beings, which I think makes it very uh, relatable. And it makes it feel a little bit safer because you're kind of watching Nicole. I call her doctor. I should call her Dr. Nicole, but I call her Nicole. She goes through uh, different skits. Like she'll put on her Instagram a skit that she does with one of her partners. And they'll they'll really kind of talk about like uh, what happens at home when you're growing up. So basically her focus really is not entirely on childhood trauma, but really just how we're born into this world as a certain person to evolve as we're supposed to be as individuals in a collective world. Meaning, at the same time, she talks a lot about, and this is what we all have experienced, is how a lot of stuff has been put on us. You know, if you think about, and I'm not trashing my own family here at all, I'm just kind of putting out there like when, you know, grownups are just grown-up kids, right? You know, I'm at a place in my life where I don't really blame anybody for anything. I, I've, I've accepted responsibility. I am accountable. Um, sometimes I get caught up in a little bit of blame or I like, oh, I get a little pity party going and it, usually it's short-lived. Um, I don't allow myself to wallow in it. Um, but, you know, just kind of all of the stuff that we've inherited as children, whereas we're very resilient as children, you know, we're born into the world. And what is one of the first th words we learn? No, really turn that off. Um, so anyway, just saying that a little bit, but I do want to talk about what she really focuses on, um, in her work. Um, I was on a wait list for the Inner Healer Circle, which is a course, a, a, a body of coursework uh, that you can kind of do at your own pace, but it's in the community um, of something that she started with uh, two of her partners, I believe. I think she also has a podcast. I haven't heard the podcast, but I am in the Inner Circle, so I'm getting all of the, you know, seeing all the virtual uh, teachings and not all of them. I'm just kind of pacing myself here, but it's really quite um, evolving and eye-opening and liberating and yeah, painful. Um, healing is painful. Um, it's not always a breeze for sure, but I do like what she basically focuses on is how to be safe in your own body. Because when we feel trauma and we've been, whether we've been bullied, whether by whoever, um, or um, <clears throat> any kind of experience where we feel um, trauma in our body, we have a very visceral, visceral reaction that largely we all don't always see or feel or can identify that our body goes into fight or flight. Sometimes it is in a perpetual state of fight or flight if we're chronic enough. Um, and also, uh, we are really going into like, uh, what is it like? It's not survival. Yes. Survival mode, but also like automatic pilot, which is something that I really related to when I was doing one of the courses, um, called it's kind of an awakening. That's how you start the course. Anyway, back to, um, the, the response that the body has, um, I'm just going to just take something literally from the Instagram. You'll see it when you look, but um, I like, uh, let's see, where am I? Oh, here we go. Um, the post is really um, all about what we feel. We don't always recognize triggers. We, we don't always recognize when an anxiety provoking situation or our body reacts to something that we don't consciously remember, but next thing we know, we're having either a panic attack or we're in a heightened state of anxiety. She talks a lot about the dysregulated nervous system and that as being the root of root cause of disease and mental illness, which I agree. I agree to a certain degree. I agree that inflammation is what's 
happens when you're in survival mode and you're in a perpetual state of anxiety. Inflammation leads to disease. Um, but she's really talking about um, how it leads to PTSD, generalized anxiety, how it can also manifest into depression. She doesn't talk a lot about the real chronic, um, you know, degenerative diseases or the other, like the bipolarity. Uh, she doesn't focus on diagnoses. Again, I'm not saying she is always right about stuff. This is not, it's not a competition. It's just, I believe in this program. I like what she has to say. It's relatable and she's using herself as an instrument. And I commend that. So I find it relatable. And it's literally things that you can hang on to, tangible things that she shares. She says, when we experience chronic stress in our body, and this is all stuff we've studied and we know and we talk about all the time in our work. But when we experience chronic stress, our body cannot recover from. Our nervous system enters a sympathetic state called fight or flight, which we probably most of us know. The body releases adrenaline, cortisol, and glucose into the bloodstream in order to survive. Survival means running from danger so that the body pushes blood away from vital organs toward the hands and feet. Because all energy is going towards escaping danger, digestion suffers, sex hormone production is turned off, and growth hormones aren't produced. The body is in survival mode. For those who've had a chronic nervous system dysregulation in childhood, in parentheses, childhood trauma. There is also stunted development emotionally because survival is the sole focus. In fight or flight, the immune system isn't able to fully function, making us vulnerable to disease, gut issues, IBS being a very common one, and mood disorders from high blood sugar levels. As you leave survival mode, the body's going to withdraw from cortisol, insulin, and adrenaline spikes. The brain is going to need massive amounts of energy to create new neuronal pathways. So to support your body through this period with as much sleep as you need, nutritious foods, sunlight, vitamin D to repair the mind and body, your body's processing the allostatic load, which is the cumulative burden of stressful events that have endured throughout your life. I like this because she also talks about how to ground yourself in those moments. So what her whole practice is, and again, I'm only talking about one person who's creating a movement, which I like because she is destigmatizing mental health completely. She's not even using diagnoses. She's literally looking at trauma. So she talks about what I've talked about before. She's not a medication person. I am. But I'm also very, very a, a strong supporter of cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. And what I love about dialectical behavior therapy is the mindfulness part of it, um, how it takes a, someone who is emotionally dysregulated in the skill sets that they offer are literally through the senses. So this is stuff I've talked about before, but I've also found in this, um, in Dr. Nicole's work, a very similar, uh, like a very, uh, just very similar um, ways in which you can calm the body down. Uh, she talks about the five senses, which I, I, I've talked about uh, several times on this podcast. So, and it's always important to do this like when you're not in a state of a, a total state of anxiety. Um, this is something that you can practice. So if you have, you know, five senses, six senses, the sixth sense, sense is move. I can't say sense today, but the sixth sense is movement. So we often, I always ask people, all right, do yoga, do some sort of movement, just move, dance, do whatever you've got to do. Um, exercise is great. Go for a walk. Nicole does, Dr. Nicole, whatever, she does similar things. She'll, she'll talk about belly breathing. She thinks belly breathing is the, the, one of the best ways to calm down the nervous system. Um, anything that's going to ground you to the earth. So meditation, obviously, but it is very difficult for people to transition from a hysterical state 
to a meditative state. I mean, let's face it, if we've all been in those moments, that's very difficult to do. But it's not difficult to go outside and sit on the grass and lay down and look up at the sky and listen to the birds. That's not that hard. You can do that. You can go outside and listen to, if you live in the city, listen to the hustle bustle in the city and listen to the birds. Hopefully they're flying around. But anything that takes your mind off of what's happening in your body, but a way to ground yourself to the earth. So, and or anything that is calming or soothing in nature. Everybody is different. I've worked with people who literally do not want to be touched. So the idea of the sense of touch and someone hugging them when they're in a state, that kind of a state, is not a good idea. But for other people, a hug is a perfectly acceptable way to calm somebody down and comfort somebody. It's really about your body going into a state of fight or flight, right? Whether we're aware of it or not, which means that the body memory is going into a state of fight or flight. It doesn't mean in that moment that we're particularly traumatized, but it's bringing back all of the memories of our body and all also of our mind. So we will take, and when she talks about the deve- developmental piece, which I'm pretty sure I've mentioned prior, is anybody, anytime anybody's been traumatized on a, on the developmental spectrum, right? There's not really a spectrum, but if you look at developmental um and, and I work with clients all the time with this. It's like, all right, so when you are, you experience your eight years old, you experience repetitive perpetual trauma. Um, you're literally going to react to, that doesn't leave you. It doesn't mean you can't be cured or healed. It just means that sometimes maybe be aware of our reactions to things that happen to us, sometimes we will go back to that age and we will react in that way. Meaning it could be overly an overly emotional response, like it doesn't really match the situation. Um, think of the developmental stages of life. Um, you know, you think of a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old, or, you know, all, a teenager. How do teenagers react? So think about how you react to situations and be mindful of that. Um, because sometimes we'll react and we're like, wait a minute, where did that come from? Did that come from my mother, my father? And wait, why am I reacting like that? It could be because you're reacting from a place and time in your life when you felt really violated and um, disrespected. And that sticks with you. Um, again, you know, we're all on a, our own journeys, right? And, you know, you can't go through life with nothing happened to you. Um, you know, lucky for you, the ones that go through life smooth sailing, I haven't met one to date. But <clears throat> talking about really grounding. So for example, some people like weighted blankets. But if people are anxious and claustrophobic, a weighted blanket's not really the best idea, because that will make someone feel enclosed and claustrophobic. Um, a lot of times I'll suggest food, um, food, you can occupy several senses. You can touch, you can cook, you can smell. So, you know, cooking garlic, sauteing onions and, you know, cooking something, you're tasting something, you're smelling something, you're doing something. All that stuff distracts you in the moment so that your body can recuperate from what it's reacting to. And also you can bring yourself back to a safe place. Um, she does vagal stimulation too. She does a lot of, she does something with the ears. I, she, I can't, I don't want to get into the other stuff that she's doing because I won't really, um, you know, I don't really, I'm not really well versed in it, so I won't go into that. I'm just talking about how to ground yourself. This is stuff you can all do. So I give all my clients the homework assignment, know yourself better, know your comfort zones, know what people are comforting to you. Because sometimes you might think that maybe this person would be comforting to this person. Well, maybe they aren't. (laughs) So, you know, calling the person that you think might be helpful for you, maybe might be more triggering for you. Anyway, but spirituality is also, I believe, a way to ground yourself. 
not everybody is um, in tune to spirituality. But, um, you know, taste, smell, sight, things you can see. Look at the outdoors. You look at the trees. You look at the, if you can, near the water, look at the water or, you know, anything. Um, go to the beach, sit in the sand, smell the beautiful sense of the beach. Um, I always say beach just because I live near one. But that doesn't mean that you can't go to a museum and stare at beautiful artwork and just get out of your own head. Watch a movie that makes you laugh. Um, you know, if you're depressed, don't watch depressing things and don't listen. Don't match your emotion. Change the emotion. Even if I found that even research shows if you are really, really sad, you can watch a scary movie. It doesn't matter. You can listen to angry music if you want. But as long as you don't match the emotion that you're feeling that's you want to change, then that's usually the best way to go. Um, I also want to say two minutes of um, I believe that I I believe that that people there are people out there that are deeply disturbed. Um, I I always think and I hope that there's a way to save everybody, you know, because I wouldn't be in this field if I didn't believe that. But do I believe that people do? Obviously, they do do things that are extremely um devastating and, and tragedy, tragic, um, what happened. I don't know anything about this person who did this horrible act. Um, but what I ha what I have noticed in my travels in this work is that there has to be a certain level of self-loathing. There's definitely something deep going on there. Um, whether it's depression, um, that's gone untreated, whether a person has been severely bullied and not received any recourse or any kind of support. Um, there are people out there that are treatment resistant. Um, there are people out there that don't even know they're depressed. They don't even know that they have bipolar disorder. They do not know that what anxiety really means. Um, PTSD even. People can be extremely reactive when they're when they have post-traumatic stress disorder. They can be extremely explosive and reactive and they can look really unstable. Um, but <clears throat> getting back to where people go in this, which is why we want to destigmatize mental health so much, it's such a passion of ours, is that mental illness and mental health is a lonely business. And when you are young, you don't know what's going on with you. You don't. And if you don't have a strong support system or someone in your life that recognizes how off the rails you are, then that is going to have a very unhappy ending. It could have a very unhappy ending. A lot of these kids go inward. When kids grow up depressed, so many people who I talk to, their depression didn't start a year ago. You know, it, it, by the time they get into treatment, they've been struggling for a long time. And, you know, you could be the kindest person in the world and your parents could be the kindest people in the world and they might not even notice that you're depressed, right? You might not know. Um, but kids, kids will get lured into things. And I want to talk about video games. I want to talk about the violent video games. I think they're an atrocity. I think um, that it's a whole network for which a lot of our kids that are, when you think about depression, you think about isolation. That's the one big thing people do. My, never mind the mood part, but the isolation. And the isolation leads people to, to use stay at home and hibernate. And what can they do to connect with other people? Video games. And what do they, what do, how are they connecting with other people when you really think about that? They're thinking about, they're connecting with people based on murder. They're ba it's based on murder, guns. It, how many people can you kill? 
it that whole system is a it conditions people even adults it's the it has to go in my opinion of course everybody's going to be upset with me but i really don't care in my opinion when someone isolates people that's why people join gangs because they don't they need a family structure they they wind up joining street gangs because and i don't want to speak for every individual but this is people feel they want to belong so you look at video games there's a sense of belonging there that's the trap it's like oh i can play with so and so and so and so you don't even know how the hell old these people are or who they are or that they're not dangerous themselves um and i'm sure there are people who are just doing it for sport like it's a fun thing to do and yet i still don't get it however i do want to say it has desensitized this country and it des- it totally desensitizes i've seen it i've seen it in people how how cold it makes people and insensitive to and 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 I don't know. I just I can't help but say you have to say something about this, which I don't know that people are really talking about. So, I'm going to I've been rambling, but I am going to talk a little bit about uh just trauma and PTSD from a medication perspective. So, for me, I love the SSRIs and the SNRIs for trauma, PTSD, any kind of anxiety, and you're looking at social anxiety, generalized anxiety, um, you know, phobias, panic disorder. Um, there are so many different medications you can take. Um, I'm not prescribing to anybody on the air, obviously, and I'm only using this as a teaching platform of like what their options are, but everybody is different. And people react very differently to medication. In my travels, I believe that it's a crapshoot. You can't totally be sure that one medication is going to agree with somebody or going to do anything for somebody. So sometimes it takes a few tries. Um, I think that, you know, like the Zoloft, I like Zoloft, Sertraline. I, you know, not everybody loves it, but I do. I think it's calming. I think it helps people. I've seen you know, who struggle with severe anxiety. Um, but a lot of people use very different medications. They'll use Prozac, which can be activating. Um, and I believe less soothing. You can use Celexa, Citalopram, and a lot of people are on Lexapro. And those are all, these are all SSRIs. And they work very well at the lower doses for anxiety. Unless you have OCD, then you need higher doses. Again, I'm just speaking not to anybody individually, and I'm not diagnosing or medicating anybody on the air, but I am just trying to shed some light for people who don't have a provider, who are struggling, who are suffering, who are doing everything they can to get into a provider, but can't. Go to your primary care doctor and talk to them about it. 100% talk to your primary care, because really right now there's such a shortage. It continues to be that way. It's been this way since the pandemic started. It's getting worse, I believe, by the day. We're in very strange times right now. Ask your primary care doctors. They're screening all the time for anxiety disorders and depressive disorders um, in their office. I don't know how often they do it. I don't know if it's just during an initial intake when you start. I don't know if it's something that they do on, you know, sporadically. But I think empower yourself enough to know that if you are, if you are struggling, if anything, you relate to any of this, talk to your primary care doctor. If you're feeling unsafe in any way, you call 911 and go to the emergency room. That's the rule of thumb across the board. Um, sometimes people will have flashback nightmares, uh, traumatic replay of traumatic events, and they wake them up in the middle of the night. And people will feel like they're re-experiencing the trauma a lot of times people will use prezosin. That's a very common medication that I think I've spoken about once upon a time. Um, it was discovered by accident, like so many medications are. Um, they were working with uh, war veterans and with hypertension. And they found that prezosin, when they used because it is an antihypertensive medication, um, it literally stops the fight or flight response. The difference between a flashback and just a nightmare when you wake up is that 
what prezosin does is it stops adrenaline. So that is something that happens to us all the time, right? We we all we don't always know when we're feeling well. God, I feel anxiety. But you're like I just explained to you using Dr. Nicole's you know, like kind of step by step process of it really makes a lot of sense. Your adrenaline starts kicking in. Um, the prezosin, for some reason, because of the adrenaline factor, stops can stop, but mostly dissipates the. Um, nightmares, the flashback nightmares. It doesn't really work in my experience with regular nightmares. You want to be careful though and talk to your provider 100% about making sure that you monitor your blood pressure um, because uh, antihypertensives lower blood pressure and you don't want to drop your blood pressure too much. Um, the other one is clonidine. That's another antihypertensive that people use. And propanolol. Those are all medications that lower blood pressure and, you know, kind of calm the body versus crossing the blood-brain barrier like a lot of these other medicines will do and calm the mind, right? So we're talking about literally calming your body. So if, let's say, you're starting to develop, you're just getting into this, Right. It's such a process, it never ends. But you grow, you get better, you feel better, you can help other people. But if you feel like something's not right, ask for help. Ask for help. And right now, for people who are just kind of starting out or know themselves well enough, I say look at this, look at uh, her Instagram and follow her. I'd like her work, even explore the inner healer circle as well. Um, it's very fascinating. And there are lots of things that I am learning that as a provider, I didn't know. So um, as providers, we have to keep growing as humans, we have to keep growing. Um, I'm certain I forgot a lot of what I wanted to say, but I, I'm pretty sure you guys have shut me off by now. <laughs> um, but again, happy Memorial Day. God bless you all. Again, we're all on this journey together. We're here for you. Um, you know, like Corey gives out his cell phone number and email. Please feel free to ask us questions. But always, if you're not feeling right, you're not feeling safe, call 911, go to an emergency room in urgent care. Talk to your therapist um, about what you're feeling. If any of this has like struck a chord and maybe you weren't aware of it, talk to your providers about it and definitely talk to your primary care doctors. Um, I'll be talking more about this down the road, but I just wanted to share this with you today. Thank you. That's the longest you've talked. Yeah, Julie's into this, uh, Nicole. Uh, I, I disagree with one aspect of it because I do believe in using diagnostic labels. Uh, that is my job, is to figure out what is wrong because if you don't know what it what the diagnosis is, how do you effectively treat it? Um, so this was a longer podcast and it really kind of stemmed from the unfortunate event that happened in Texas. Um, and just anecdotally from patients I've worked with and just, you know, with, with the bullying. And I, I totally agree with Julie with the video games. Um, I don't play a lot of video games. I usually play like sport games with, with my stepson. Um, but I remember buying um, Call of Duty. It was more of an exercise. Instead, I did the wireless thing. And I just sat and I listened. And I listened to what was what the, the language and, and the, the, like Julie said, the bonding over something destructive. And this is the classic work of Albert Bandura, social learning theory. Look up the work of Albert Bandura and you will see that this is playing itself out. Uh, I think the work was maybe like the 60s, 70s, but social learning theory is directly connected to how people take these, these synthetic experiences and then extrapolate them into real world experiences. Um, but, you know, the likelihood of regulating or, you know, you could put... Uh, like they put on like a you know, rated R, doesn't matter. But I'll ask kids like, "How many friends do you have?" And they'll say, "I got uh, nine hundred. I'm like, "You're twelve. How do you have nine hundred friends?" So this whole concept of 
of friendships and and people you talk to and and the internet and and you know all this exchanging games and stuff like that is also a great way for you know for for pedophiles to get involved with kids. Uh, hey, I got the secret code for level forty seven. You know, oh, I go to your school in in, in Duxbury. Oh yeah, we never met before. You know, so a lot of danger. So please, uh, as parents, monitor what your kids are doing. And again, with Julie, as she said, isolation is a very scary thing. It's a very important warning sign that something is going on. Now, isolation in the sense of, hey, I got a cold. I just want to, you know, stay home for a few days and place it. That's a little different, but if you're noting, you're noticing pervasive isolation of, of your child, of a loved one, even even as an, as an adult, that is a very clear warning sign that something is going on, especially if their hygiene is going down, if they're neglecting or negating responsibilities. Definitely, definitely, definitely approach them because there is something going on, most likely a mood process, possibly a psychotic process. So bullying, um, again, I think it's, it's an epidemic that is here. Uh, I don't see it going away anytime soon. But as I said before, um, you know, things can be spoken over you, but you easier said than done. You you do have the power um to determine how much you want to let something into your psyche and and affect you, um, and you know if, if there's, I think there's shame associated with it. So if, you know, kids are listening to the program. Talk to your parents. Open dialogue is crucial in families. It's crucial in in in, in the early identification of mental health. And I will always say it: get a full neuropsych eval to really delineate what it is, because there's so much symptom overlap between a lot of these disorders. And the only way to really delineate and figure out what it is is a full neuropsych eval because it will specify with with precision what the diagnostic picture is and that becomes incredibly helpful for your therapist becomes incredibly helpful for someone like julie who's doing medication and in just your treatment team in general so again a longer episode uh julie did most of it um but we felt it was appropriate uh just to kind of talk about this because um these are the things that a lot of times go under the radar because they really don't have a lot of the overt signs um but i i I would venture to guess that this is a worldwide phenomenon um we just uh like i said we seem to be the epicenter for violence in this country and it's quite concerning so as always uh feel free to reach out to me through psychology unplugged psychology unplugged at outlook.com you can get a hold of me through psychology today um you can contact me directly at 617-750-9411 i try my best to get in touch with many people it's been fun helping people with their dissertations uh talking about different cases um you know uh, if you want to come out and see me for neuropsych evals, I'm incredibly humbled by how many people have come and are coming. But if, I, if you meet want me to do a neuropsych eval or you want to see Julie from Meds, you have to be in the state of Massachusetts to see us. But talking, um, I can talk to anybody around the world. So have a great uh, rest of the weekend. Um, appreciate all of your feedback and support and how many followers we have and uh like i said this is our modest version of god's work and be well and take care of yourselves take care of each other bye guys